right, well, hey, good morning. Welcome to Summit Church. That was, that, that was rich. I don't know. I, I, in my mind, when we, when we planned a bluegrass Sunday, like, honestly, I was kind of like, it'll be, you know, everyone will be sweating and, you know, and, but that was just good. I don't know. I mean, that was good. That was, everything about that was God honoring, and that's what we wanted. Um, it's Father's Day. Jay mentioned it. We prayed for you fathers. Uh, dads in the room, let me just encourage you. Um, this is traditionally a day where you get a free pass to be as much of an absent guy as you want to be. You can do whatever you want to do. Um, let's, let's change that today, fathers. Um, those of you who are blessed enough to get to be with your children today, biblically, your role as the father is one that is immense and incredibly impactful. So do not check out. It is the final round of the U.S. Open. I get that. I, I get that. There are many things happening, but your children are a blessing to you from God, so do not miss this opportunity to exhort them, to love on them, to let them know what a blessing they are back to you, regardless of where you're at as a father. Let's not check out today. Let's make today something special. Um, I want to do a couple things and just some announcements, get you caught up. Here's the most important one, though. As a church, our job is to inform you, the body, uh, of what we are doing. Like, uh, as far as if we're casting vision to go somewhere as a group, if we are trying to just logistically plan out ministry happenings, whatever it is, one of the hardest things that we do as a leadership in the church is communicate to the body as a whole. I want to make sure that you're aware of how we intend to do that from this point forward. It's not changing much. I just want to make sure you're aware. Maybe you've never heard this before. Um, we utilize social media here at the church. Uh, not that everyone is on Facebook or Twitter, okay? It, some of you are like, I don't even care about that stuff. It's the, like, I get that, all right? I'm that person. That is me, all right? But we utilize social media because a lot of you are on it a lot. So you, you might as well be aware of what's going on and what's happening ministry-wise. So I encourage you, and there'll be a, there will not be a slide behind me because there's no screen. Um, we have a Twitter account. It's Summit Church OK. Follow us there. We have a Facebook page. We just got rid of our profile to eliminate confusion. We have a Facebook page. Go like that page. Follow us on that page. But then the other thing that we do, if we need to communicate to the whole, Everybody, we try to only do this sparingly, but we want to send out an email. That's the best way that we have right now to communicate to the whole. I had a few of our staff members helping me stuff these into your Summit Church hymnal uh, earlier this week, and they're like, why are we putting offering envelopes and all the things? Are we in bad financial place? No, no, we're not. Um, this is not an offering envelope only. This is also a communication card. Um, we like to do things incredibly succinctly, and we want to not waste. So this is both and, okay? But today, this is a communication card. If you happen to put some money in it, that's cool. But it is a communication card. On this is a place for you to let us know your information, to update your information, because the main thing that we want to have is your email address so that you can know what's going on as a church as a whole. One of our communications guys committed. We're going to start sending out a monthly e-news through that email, just letting you know here's the biggest things coming up in the next 30 days. Just letting you know ministry happenings, that kind of stuff. So fill those out. Drop them in the offering box on your way out. That's the main way we can communicate to the masses. But please follow us on Facebook and Twitter because we have a lot of stuff that's just going up to encourage you, to spur you on. It's wonderful, wonderful ways to keep connected. The last thing I want to make you aware of is our baptism celebration on June the 30th. 
June the 30th, immediately following this worship service, we are going to celebrate baptism. Right now we have about six people signed up to be baptized on June the 30th. That's wonderful. If you are in a place in your discipleship and in your spiritual journey where you know that you need to confess that Jesus is your Lord publicly, you've already done that privately, but you need to make that known, then the way we do that is through baptism here at Summit Church. And that's something that anyone can do from, from a child to an adult. As long as that relationship with Jesus is your own it is your own choice and your own decision, and you want to make that public. We practice believer baptism, and we want to celebrate that decision with you. You can go online, summitonline.tv. Right on the main screen is a baptism icon. Click that. There's a form I want you to read so you understand what you're doing. You click that you've read that. You sign up. That's as easy as it is, and then be here on June the 30th to celebrate with us in that. Let me pray, and then we will dive in to our study of the celebration of disciplines. God, thank you um, for the, the truth of your word. Thank you for the reality of your son, Jesus, and his atoning death on the cross, God. We have assurance for the future. We have hope in life. We have joy and peace. We have all that we need in you, Jesus. I thank you for that truth. I thank you for that hope. I pray that those in here who do not know you and do not know that hope and that truth, God, would meet you today. I pray that your word would come alive. I pray that our hearts would be moved towards a knowledge and a truth of you. And God, that in that we would find freedom. We would find freedom and transformation, God, to look more like you, to honor you with the way that we live our lives and by obeying your commands. God, let your Holy Spirit just season this entire morning and do with it as you see fit. We are yours. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We have been walking through this book, The Celebration of Disciplines. If you have not gotten the book yet and started reading with us, please do. It's not too late. It's not too late. We want you to journey with us through the summer. Today ends what Richard Foster calls the inward spiritual disciplines. These are disciplines that you do individually to position yourself in front of God so that he can speak to you and therefore transform you. Today we will look at the discipline of study but before we unpack that, I want you to know that where we're moving in the next four weeks are to the outward disciplines. These are more conditions of one's heart that causes them to live a certain way that positions them in front of God so that they can hear him and he can transform them. So the inward disciplines of meditation, prayer, fasting, and now study, we're wrapping those up and we're moving to the outward disciplines of simplicity, solitude, submission, and service. You can see the difference just in the, in the terms. We're making that shift next week. So I don't want to skim over study in any way because it is too profoundly rich. And here's why. In Paul's letter to the Romans, in chapter 12, the very first verse, very first verse he says, no, do not any longer conform to the patterns of this world. Don't do what the world does, but be transformed. Be completely different. Look completely different. And here's how you do it. By the renewing of your mind. You need a new mind. You need a renewal of your mind in order to not conform to the patterns of this world. The renewing of your mind is a spiritual process, but there is a physical responsibility that goes along with renewing one's mind. Philippians 4, verse 8, Paul encourages the church to do this. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, start, start to make a list of these things. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, 
whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, well, you could put a bunch of subpoints under those. Think about such things. Set your mind on things like that. Think about things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. Those are the things that Paul calls us to think about in the discipline of study. What we're talking about this morning is the primary vehicle, the primary agent to bring us to think about these things. And I'll explain why, and you'll see why, but we need to put out one more disclaimer first. The hope of study is a renewal of our mind, but the renewal of our mind will lead not just to knowledge. The fruit of study, at least biblical study, is not just more knowledge. That's where it differs from any kind of study that you may do to prepare yourself for any kind of academic test. The fruit of biblical study is not more knowledge. The fruit of biblical study is freedom. The result of study is freedom. Jesus himself says it in John chapter 8, verses 31 through 36. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. If you apply my teachings to your life, if you abide in what I said to do, then you really are one of my followers. Then you will know the truth. My teachings are the truth. So it says, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The disciples answered him, we are Abraham's descendants, and we have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we'll be set free? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Anyone who has ever sought to wrestle with their flesh, anyone who has ever sought to eliminate their sinful nature on their own accord knows the danger and the difficulty of doing that. It's, it's impossible. So in, and because of that, anyone who sins is a slave to that sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family of God, but a son, a son belongs to it forever. So if the son, Jesus, sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus sets us free from the sin and slavery that comes from our flesh. But he doesn't just stop there. He says, I have taught you a way to live. I have taught you a way to think. I have laid it out for all who say they follow me. And the truth of that way of living, the truth of that teaching will set you free. Without the knowledge of the truth, which are the teachings of Jesus, we cannot be truly free. I think many of you are sitting here today and you are confused and you're stifled in your discipleship journey. You're like, I want more. I love Jesus with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I want to obey him. I see the effects of prayer in my life. Like I, I get kingdom finances. You there's so much that you understand and there's so much that you live into and there's so many of his truths that you get, yet you sit here stifled and confused for one reason. Because you're ignorant to his truth 
And not to slap anyone in the face, but all that means is you don't know the word. You've never unpacked it. You've never studied it. You carry a Bible, but you don't know what it says inside. And what Jesus teaches here in John chapter 8 is that if you don't know my teachings, you're, you're going to be a slave to sin. And, and there's only one way to learn. There's only one way to gain that truth. I would say it's through study. Here's how Richard Foster defines study, the spiritual discipline of study. Study is the concentration, perception, and repetition of thought or multiple thoughts towards an object to enable the mind to move in a certain direction. In this case, the direction that we want the mind to move is renewal or change. The object of that concentration, perception, and repetition should be Jesus or if you want to unpack that even more, it should be his teachings and his word. So if we concentrate, perceive, and repeat our thoughts and move them towards Jesus, it will enable our mind to move a certain direction, is that, and that is towards renewal and change. Without that, without that gift of study, we cannot change. In the Old Testament, the children of God, the people of God, were told to make that object of study the law of the Lord, the words of God, the law of the Lord. They were told to write it on their hearts. They were told to meditate on it day and night. That was to be their primary thought. Yes, you can go about your daily life. You can plant your fields, and you can harvest your crops, and you can raise your flocks, and you can do all that stuff, but what's on your mind, what's pressing and always there is the word of God. Make that the direction of your thought, and in doing so, you will be led towards the will of God. Now, in the New Testament, the law is already written on our hearts. Jesus tells us in Hebrews 8, verse 10, this is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel, the children of God, after that time, after the cross, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. So for those who are in Jesus Christ, his law has been written on our minds and our hearts. We have it. It's indwelled in us through his Holy Spirit. But just because of that, we cannot let our minds diverge. Just because it's in there, we still have to call it up. We still have to bring it to the forefront of our minds. Yes, he's written it in there, but we can mar it, and we can cover it, and we can hedge it with tons of other things. We are drawn to concentrate on Jesus because he has put that in us. With perception and repetition, we mold our thoughts towards his thoughts and his teachings. A disciple is one who follows the teachings, the precepts, and the instructions of Jesus. That's just a biblical definition of a disciple. One who follows the teachings, precepts, and instructions of Jesus. How can you be his disciple if you don't know his teachings? You're like, because I love him, because I prayed a prayer, because I come to church, because I do no. How can you be his disciple if you don't know his teachings? You can't. You have to humble yourself and realize that for many of us, we are lacking. We're lacking just the general knowledge of Jesus' teachings because for some reason, the thought of opening his word and studying it is not only foreign, but it's terrifying. It's terrifying. So we just don't do it. I pray, I give, I serve, I do all the other stuff, the word, you teach it to me, tell me what I need to know. Not gonna cut it. 
what the study looked like in general. There's four components of study. So here, here's what I want to do. I want to break it down into generally just what we need to study because Richard Foster does this. He, he breaks it down. He says that we need to not only study the word of God, but we need to study other Christian writings. We need to study nature itself to see and understand God through nature. And we need to study ourselves. We need to look into our own hearts and our own minds and learn from what we can of ourselves. He has all of that. I'm gonna focus on the study of the word because I feel like it's the most important. But before I break down how to do that, I just wanna walk through the four things. These are the four steps to generally studying anything and you can figure out how those would apply to your study of the word. The first step that he gives is repetition. Repetition without even understanding will affect the inner mind and can lead to ingrained habits. Just seeing and hearing something over and over and over again, even without a full understanding, can start to affect one's mind. It can start to affect one and cause change in their life. Um, For instance, I remember in Bible college, about four times a week, I had to recite and memorize scripture or write it out. That was part of my schoolwork, was to memorize scripture. It was kind of weird. The way that I learned it best, if you want to picture this, it's kind of humorous, I, I would jump on my twin size bed with my Bible and I would just say the scripture over and over and over and over again. So like Acts 1, my dear Theophilus, I've begun to write all that Jesus had begun to do. I'm just, I'm just reading it over and over. I mean, getting a cardio, getting some workout on and just repetition. However many verses it was, I, I just recited it over and over and over and over again and then I would walk into that classroom and it would just fall back out. Now, Two weeks later, did I still have that passage of Scripture memorized? Nope. Nope. But I'll tell you this, 12 years later, there's bits and pieces of it that stuck. Just simply by repetition, over and over and over again. But this same ability of the mind to take on habits due to repetition is also why it's so dangerous and why it's so important that we filter what we're putting into our minds. I hope you know me. Like, I am the least harsh pastor I know of, if you see an R-rated movie, you're going to hell, if you do this, if you, like, I'm just not that. That's not who I am. I don't censor Christianity. I don't censor out the bad to love God. It just doesn't work. But here's the truth. You know, I don't believe every great massacre in this world has come from video games and what our kids see over and over, but it does make a difference. Repetition of images causes a difference, and you want to know where I saw this? September 11th, 2001. There's 20 guys huddled around a television as we watch the first tower fall. I am amazed. I mean, just please, I, I see it, I'm like, wow. And I look across the room to a guy named Jeff who was the funniest dude at the school and he's sobbing. And we go, what are you doing? He goes, those are people. All I saw was every movie I'd ever seen with a cool explosion and a demolition, building falling. The, the images that I had put in my mind, it was just another one of those. I couldn't even see the humanity of what was going on just because I'd seen so many cool times. Something explodes, a building comes down. It was nothing. I missed the humanity of it. Now, I'm not saying you can avoid watching every explosion. 
but it ingrains habits and it ingrains thoughts into your mind. Repetition. Repetition without concentration, though, is just repetition. Concentration is what allows us to center our mind and focus one's attention on what is being studied. Repetition leads to concentration. Concentration is an effort and an intent to focus on what is being studied. I just ask this question, what gets your full attention? What gets, what gets your full and undivided attention? And at any point in your day, is it the word of God? Is it Jesus? And, and here's what I'm saying. I'm not harping on the people who open their Bible and turn on their iTunes and get, you know, get a podcast going and do like all this stuff. But that's overload. That's century over. What in your day gets your full and undivided attention? Because concentration is necessary to lead to the third step of study, which is comprehension. Comprehension focuses on truth. Comprehension is that moment where it clicks. You've all experienced it. There's a subject of any kind that you are studying, and you don't get it, and you don't get it, and you don't get it, but you repeatedly look at it, and you concentrate on it, and then all of a sudden you go, bam, ah, I get it. That makes sense. I, I, I can comprehend that now. We've all had that experience. Comprehension is what allows us to focus on the truth. Comprehension leads to insight and discernment. Without comprehension of God's word, we cannot lead to insight and discernment. And I think it is lack of comprehension that causes us to put it back on the shelf more than anything else. I just don't get it. I'll give you some tools for that here in a minute. The final process of study is called reflection. Comprehension reveals the truth of what you're studying, but reflection defines its significance. How significant is that truth in my life? Reflection allows you to do that. Reflection helps us to see things from God's perspective. Jesus talks often of those who do not have ears to hear or eyes to see. These people comprehend and understand the idea, but they have no idea the significance. That was the Pharisees. They were more than smart enough to comprehend the truth that Jesus was teaching, but without reflection, without understanding the significance, they simply dismissed it. Eh, that can't be true. That can't be important. When we reflect, we hear and see in a new way through God's eyes and with God's ears. The process of study hinges upon one key element, though. And it's not brilliance or intelligence. It's actually kind of the opposite. The ability and the desire to study hinges upon humility. Are you teachable? Is your spirit teachable? Do you see your own inabilities and your own lackings? And are you humble enough to go, I need to do something about that? Humility is the force and the cause that drives us to study because we see in our spirit that our natural abilities are not enough. We need more. To specifically study scripture, there is one method I think is valuable. It's called the inductive Bible study method. Some of you probably are familiar with it. It mirrors these four steps very well, so that's why I throw it out there. There are many other tools to help you study scripture. I think this is just one. The first step in the inductive Bible study method is get your Bible out and open it. 
I don't recommend going to Genesis 1. I don't recommend going to Matthew 1. You'll quit immediately if you go to either one. Go to James 1. Go to John 1 or 1 John 1. Start there. Open your Bible and do this. Make observations. Using repetition and concentration, write down what jumps off the page at you. All you're doing is reading a passage of scripture and trying to engage with it and in it. You're repeatedly reading it. You're not trying to understand it yet. You're just trying to see what's on the page. You're writing down questions that you have. And just so you know, so you don't think I'm up here giving you something I don't do, this is how I write every single message I preach at this church. I open up the passage and I spend a good chunk of time just reading it going, I don't get it. And I write down questions that I have after an initial one or two readings. You know why? Because you'll probably have them too. I just write down observations, questions, thoughts. That's the first step of the inductive Bible study method. The second step leads more towards your comprehension. I call it interpretation. Interpretation is a seeking out of the truth. But what truth are you seeking out? Here's what I believe governs all interpretation. It is called the author's intended meaning. The author's intended meaning, or the aim of the passage. That's the acronym. The aim of the passage is what the author is trying to get you to understand. It's not what that passage says to you. That was possibly not the author's intended meaning. The author wrote to a specific group of people in a specific time, guided by the Holy Spirit and derived by the very words of God, it is truth, but it was written to a specific person at a specific time, and you need to know his intended meaning in order to say that you have successfully interpreted that passage. Some of the things that play into a correct interpretation is understanding the context, who he was writing to, or why. The context happens within the whole Bible, within the testament, old or new, within the book, within the chapter, and even within the paragraph, you need to know all of that context in order to truly interpret the author's intended meaning. You need to look at the parts of speech. You need to look at the words and realize that it was not written in English originally. You need to look at the sentences and see how this object and this subject and this verb, they look and they speak to one another. Now, you're going, how in the world am I supposed to have time to do all that? This takes time, and it takes concentration but it's not beyond any other use of your literary skills. You just look and you try to read it for what it's worth. And finally, I think there's many tools out there to do this, but you need to read parallel passages. You need to go find other passages of Scripture that talk about what this passage of Scripture talks about. Most of your Bibles have a strip right down the middle of each page, and you've always been like, that really just gets in my way of reading. Um, that is invaluable because right in that strip, it gives you the specific passages of Scripture that talk about that same thing that your passage of Scripture is reading. All you got to do is use that little strip, and you can go on this journey through all of Scripture. And why is that important? Because I believe that Scripture is the best commentary on Scripture. If you don't understand a specific verse, go read another verse that talks about the same thing. Go read another verse that talks about the same thing. Start to see the whole of Scripture and what it teaches observation, interpretation, and then finally the last part of the inductive Bible study method is application. This is what Richard Foster would call reflection. What do you need to do in response to this passage? 
Before I write any talk and give it to this church, I put on the top of my page, what do I want them to know or what do I want them to do? For today's message, here's what I wrote as a response to that. I want them to know their absolute dependence upon the teachings and the truth of Jesus so that they might be set free. That's my hope. If I can do that, I've accomplished what I believe is the application of this message. Now that's a lot easier to do when we're just knocking out chunks of Mark. Okay, it's a lot easier to do. This is a chapter in a book that some other guy wrote, but that's still my heart. Application allows you to answer that question. What do I need to know or do in response to this passage? And you need to answer that question. Now here's the beauty. Scripture was never intended to be read, interpreted, and, impli- and applied solo. The fact that we all have a Bible, that we all have a phone with a thousand Bibles on it, the fact that that is not the context in which Scripture was meant to be studied and learned. It was meant to be studied, learned, and applied within community. And Richard Foster calls them the extrinsic types of study, but they involve community, and he, he defines them as experience, commentary, and discussion. So you bring in others to help you interpret, to help you apply, to help you reflect on Scripture. Your experience comes from the outside and the experience of others. How does this passage play out in someone else's life? How does it play out in my life? What does that look like? Experience helps you interpret commentaries. Those are just other smart people out there. You can get most of them online for free. You read what they think about that passage. It helps you provide insight and clarity. You have others come in and provide commentary to the passage that you're trying to study. And then finally, my favorite, discussion. That's why I believe that discipleship happens best in our home groups Because in those home groups, discipleship occurs because you open up and you read a passage of Scripture. It takes you three minutes to read it, and then you spend 57 minutes discussing it. Life on life, in community, one-on-one, just getting down to the nitty-gritty. This is what it looks like to me. This is what it looks like to me. Pursuing the same thing in the hope of ultimate transformation. That's the desire, and community helps that occur. So I hope you see that. When I call you to study, I'm not calling you to go shut yourself in an office somewhere. I'm calling you to open up the word, to start to understand what it means, and then to take it into your neighborhoods and into your streets and into your coworkers and into your family and into your spouse. That's the community at which you will best be able to study scripture. As I conclude today, Nick and the band are gonna come back up here. I just wanna ask you a couple questions. The first one I already asked, but I need you to define this. What does get your full attention? What gets your full attention in a normal day? If that is not Jesus, and specifically his teachings, his commandments, his word, at least for a portion of your day, you need to look at that and ask yourself, why is what is getting my full and undivided concentration more important than this? You need to ask yourself that question. Second question, what will you spend your time learning? I know some of you are in college, like you are taught, I will, you will spend time learning this, 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 and this, but should you not then also supplement this truth, this worldly truth, with godly truth? So shouldn't that be a priority even more so? And for those of you in the workforce, you're, you're picking up new skills and learning new, tr- like 
Do you devote time, effort, and energy to learning something? And if so, why are you not devoting the same time, energy, and effort to learning the truths of God? You will get to decide if it is going to be the truth of God's teachings that will set you free. You will get to decide that by determining what you will study. In my opinion, if you choose to ingrain yourself solely in any other study, solely in any other study that is not the word of God, then that can only lead to slavery. But if you choose to repeatedly comprehend, to start to understand and to start to apply scripture to your life, that will 100% of the time lead to freedom. 100% of the time, and it's your choice. Freedom comes from study. You will know the truth if you study the truth, and the truth will set you free. So God, may there be freedom in this place. May there be joy in your word and your teachings. May we understand them and apply them, and God, may we give you our full attention so that our minds may be transformed by you that we would no longer conform to the patterns of this world, but God, that we would look more like you through your word and through your truth. May we hunger for your teachings. May we hunger to be obedient. And God, may we remember that it is your truth that sets us free. To your name we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing.